0: Welcome to the Variety Hour on AM 990, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you move your mind I bet you come from way down
1: south. Now don't tell me, let me guess, you're from the town that I love. Yes, talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff, I swear I can't get enough up.
2: Welcome to Talk
0: Money on AM 990. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker.
1: Good morning, it's Friday morning, you're listening to Talk Money, I'm Jim Shoemaker and I've got one good program for you today. We're going to talk about the market, kind of a little bit about what's going on and what happened yesterday, Erica Birdson's going to be with us and she of course is the Vice President, Director of Research and Trading for Advantis Capital, along with Keith Quinn who is our Director of Investments and investment the Investment Officer of the firm at Shoemaker Financial. We'll kind of get some ideas of um, how to react to what's happening in the market, how to react to what's going on. Going on for the whole year in the market, and how to kind of steady yourself, take a Valium or whatever you take, you know, and say it'll get over this, right, Chris? I mean, right, Chris,
3: right, uh, Keith? Absolutely. Although I don't know if I'd recommend medication, but yeah. <laughs>
1: well, I had someone in the office yesterday, and they were all going through this process, you know. And they said, "Hey, before we start, what should we take? <laughs> you know, and I, the reality is, some people think about that, and of course, also in the second half of the program, I do have someone. We're going to have Chris Purcell with. The Shoemaker Financial, and we're going to talk about insuring your love. Now, that's kind of a catchy title there, insuring your love. It kind of gets you started with that, but it's, we're going to talk about insurance and why you need insurance, and he's got some great statistics for us and some thought-provoking statistics about what we need to do to protect our families, and uh, that's going to be a part of a Valentine's program, guys. So, and
3: frankly, that is so much more important than the noise well, we're going to talk about. we're but... going
1: to talk about, but uh, we'll get into that in the second. Half of the program, you'll definitely want to stay with us. But I got a question for you: a- average annual Valentine's Day spending? I, I had no idea. Well, you know, we asked around it kind of earlier. We heard right. a billion, two billion. Thought it would be somewhere along somewhere, that. A billion—that's that's a lot of money. A lot of money. Thirteen point two. Billion dollars, almost thirteen point three billion dollars, and hundred eighty million Valentine cards exchanged, hundred ninety eight thousand roses. Number of roses produced on Valentine's Day. Here's the day. Here's the thought. Here's here's kind of good. I thought the percent of Valentine's Day cards bought by women by women. And The guys, this we need to wake up on this. Eighty four percent, eighty five percent of the cards are bought by women. Now I would have thought that would be much more well, half I'd, and a half. Yeah, that's, that's have given really the guys. Yeah, a little we bit are of doing a terrible job. But here's the thought. Now, guys, here's where we do excel. Percent of flowers purchased by men. Yeah, that's. You
3: know why that is, Jim? Why is that? Because it's easy to buy flowers. You can get online and send them. You don't have to put any effort into it. It's hard to go pick out
1: a card. Candy. The leading number one gift is candy. 47% of the people buy candy. But here's the thought for you. Percent of women who send themselves flowers on Valentine's Day. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I hope I don't cause any wrecks on this. But here's the deal. 14%. 14%. Of ladies buy flowers for themselves on Valentine's Day. Day. But now, guys, there's a reason for that, if you think about it. Now, we don't have any ladies here in the studio this morning. There was a reason for that. <laughs> uh, I, I want to see where this is going. Well, okay, what's you know, the reason? <laughs> uh, it, it's kind of one of those things we need. Percent of women who would end their relationship. Oh. End their relationship. Now, guys, this is critical. If you a Percentage of women who would end their relationship if they didn't get something on Valentine's Day. Two percent? Let's say five. Five percent? Chris, you got a number? I'm going to go eight. Eight percent? Art, what do you think? I'm going
0: to say uh, 15.
1: Oh, well, guys, wow. y'all are so far wrong. bunch of guys who know absolutely <laughs> nothing. A bunch of
0: guys who buy presents.
1: <laughs> <though>. That's <laughs> right. That's exactly right. All right. 53%, according wow. to Google, would end their relationship if it was. So, guys, wake up and smell the roses.
3: That means half the people aren't in good relationships. <laughs> That's
1: right. Exactly. I think, Ms. Linda, after 43 years, she'll still with me. but She might give you a pass, But also, I hate to say this, I wouldn't dare not buy something for Valentine's Day. Hey, stay with us. Erica Bergson will be with us when we come back. She is one uh, super, super smart lady when it comes to what's going on in the market, and she's going to give us a market update along with Keith Quinn. We're going to dive into the numbers, but we're going to give you the overview. Obviously, we're going to say don't follow the herd and keep your emotions out of the market. We'll be back right after this.
2: Jim Shoemaker, Keith Quinn, and Chris Purcell are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services Incorporated, securities dealer member FINRA SIPC. A registered investment advisor, Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Talk money. We'll return right after this.
4: Have you thought about pursuing a career in financial services but have no experience in the industry and need training? If you are goal-oriented, highly motivated, and enjoy working with people, you have the skill set Shoemaker Financial is looking for. Shoemaker Financial is continuing to grow their team of financial advisors in the Mid South, and they're ready with the training and tools you need to get started. With over 35 years of providing professional advice, quality products, and excellent service in the Mid-South, you too can now be a part of their growing firm. If you're interested in learning more about this opportunity, contact Keisha Parish at 901-757-5757 or email at at shoemakerfinancial.com
2: You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Podcasts of the Talk Money Program. Are- are available for iOS mobile devices. Go to the iTunes Store and search for Shoemaker Financial. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker.
1: Well, as I was telling you before we went to the break, we have Erica Bergelin with us, and I want to say, Erica, welcome to the program
4: thanks for having me
1: you know I want to remind everybody too they just have to do this for compliance reasons that uh, our conversation today is with Erica, and our of course the views and opinions of Advantis, and who she works for and the research that comes from those views and opinions are not naturally not naturally that's not good, not our necessary our our uh, opinions. Uh, we just want to make sure that we understand that Erica's going to give her her us her, her opinions i 'm murdering this <laughs> you're doing great. <laughs> You
4: know,
1: i, I, I murdered that. You know, Compliance is right now going, give him a break, you know.
4: But, I think you got the message across. I got across.
1: the message across, right? Erica does a lot of research. She is the vice president director of research and trading for Advantage Capital. And her opinions are not necessarily our opinions. And they're the opinions of Advantage Capital. And, of course, that's important. And that's uh, good that we put that out. Now, uh, Erica, now that I really do want your opinions –
4: <laughs> <laughs>
1: you know, I want to know I mean this economy, the market i mean look at the u s as probably the most solid developed country we we 're the most stable, and it seems like that we 're letting the world put us into a turmoil, and can you help people understand why that's happening? I mean, we are the developed country, we set the pace, we're the currency that everybody trades off of, and yet the world seems to be having troubles, and we seem to be being pulled in that direction. Your thoughts?
4: You know, Jim, I think that it's a really good observation that the U.S. probably does have the strongest underpinnings of any of the developed uh, countries in the world. Um, you know, unlike many other countries, you know, we are aging, like Japan is aging and Europe is aging too, but we have a younger population and we have population growth. People have families here, they have babies here, we have immigration. That sets the, the stage for more sustainable growth than um, other countries have. But saying that, We've really struggled to grow after the financial crisis. You know, I call it the two-steps-forward, one-step-back economy. We started out with, um, you know, post-crisis, we had the Fed come in, and they, they really loosened financial conditions, made it easier to borrow. People were able to refinance their mortgage and get more money in their pockets. And then we had this incredible boom in oil exploration exploration that had two effects for our economy. First of all, it created a lot of investment, which created jobs. And it also um, you know, put a cap on oil prices, and it, it put more money in people's pockets because uh, gas prices came down a bit from their highs. So those were a couple tailwinds that we had in our economy over the last five years. But what's happened is with the collapse in oil prices, that's driven a lot by um, the resources that we were able to unlock here in the United States, We've seen business investment just plunge. So business is no longer driving economic growth. And we've been waiting for that transition to the consumer, for the consumer spending to really start driving our economic growth. And consumers have been pretty stingy about their spending. I mean, today's retail sales numbers were pretty good, but really what had happened over the last couple of years is consumers have been saving their money, not, not spending it. So we haven't seen that, um, that tailwind. And I think some of the problems that we're seeing in the United States are common. And, and we have these in common with economies across the whole world. You know, everyone is dealing with demographic challenges of having an aging population. Um, everyone is sitting in a situation where their central bank has done about as much as they can to stimulate the economy. And most of the economies in the world, both developed and less developed, have too much debt on their books, and that basically has pulled consumption forward. So while it might be counterintuitive that um, this, this economic challenge seems to be everywhere and seems to be bleeding into the United States, I think it has roots in the fact that we have some common problems. Saying that, I think that um, this route certainly um, seems to be disconnected to what still seems to be a reasonable um, while muted economic picture here in the United States. You know, I think we're, we're still going to grow this quarter. In fact, the Atlanta Fed is expecting first quarter growth to be north of 2 percent. Um, not a great number, but a solid number.
1: Much better than the fourth quarter of
4: last year. Yeah, Absolutely.
1: Well, you know, Eric, I think one of the things that we look at—I mean, China seems to be kind of the kind of where we we hear all the noise. Keith, we talk about that absolutely. I mean, I mean where you you've got the idea behind China is this this big, huge country. It's in trouble. Their reforms. They're transitioning. Do you, f- you see that their growth is going to turn into a negative growth? I mean, six percent growth of China is still pretty good. It may be down from 75 but 6% still pretty good. Is that what you're seeing, or, or is China really our biggest issue out here?
4: Well, I think it's an, a very important issue because, again, remember what brought us out of the Great Recession. We had a couple of tailwinds that um, seem, seemingly um, were sort of outside influences. One was this oil, expor, oil exploration boom that really unlocked these resources that we didn't have before, created investment opportunities and lowered gas prices for consumers. That has gone from being a positive to being a negative. The other thing that we had was that China was in a world by itself. Their financial stimulus after the crisis was very, very effective at growing their economy. And it sort of provided a boost to the global economy. And while The economy was starting from a small base. It grew in importance very rapidly, and um, it really accounted for so much of the marginal growth in the global economy that their slowing down has just created a collapse in commodity prices and affected many other places in the whole world. And because they peg their currency to the dollar – When we tighten financial conditions, when the Fed raises interest rates here, that has a tightening effect in China. We're kind of connected at the hip for the time being until they change their policies around their currency. And I think that that's frightening global investors.
3: And that's, Jim, it's one of the things, I think Erica is exactly right, and we talk about that as well, you know, the different parts of the Chinese economy, and, you know, we've talked about the fact that the manufacturing sector has been in a recession in China, but then the services sector has been fairly strong. So, you right. know, again, got to look at the fundamentals, but a lot of it also, you know, is, as she said, uh, so much about the, the Chinese currency and devaluing the currency and, you know, how that impacts the other uh, global currencies. And, and, and
1: again, that goes back and forth to, can we always, as we talk about this a lot, can we always trust exactly what China's telling us? If you just tuned in... We're Talking with Erica Bergsland. she's the vice president, director of research and trading at Advantage Capital, along with Keith Quinn, who is the director of our investment company here at the in Memphis and does a lot of work at, and does on the show here a lot and guests frequently. I guess Erica, Keith, both of you thought, think with me now. I guess I'm looking at this yesterday or day before yesterday Janet Yellen's talking and and I read it and I looked at it and read it again and and really could not tell exactly what she said because uh, she's really good at that, and uh, <laughs> but, I, but I did get she used the term, and in fact, the journal put it out, and and it was kind of like a, almost a headline. And in fact, they wanted to make it a headline, but they, it was not strong enough. And that is negative interest rates. She actually said that 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 was a tool that she could use. Then, if you read on, what she said, but she's not sure she can actually use it, and not sure it's about. They talked about it in 2010 and all this kind of stuff. But Japan's doing it. I mean, Japan's implemented it. Uh, you got some other countries are beginning to implement that. Erica, do you see the possibility of us using that as a tool to stimulate things? I mean, again, do we need to do that? Do we need to even be thinking about that? It makes headlines, but is it it a reality?
4: Well, you know, keep in mind that our rates are substantially higher than the rest of the world. And so there is room for for our rates to come down relative to the rest of the world without becoming negative. But first, let's step back and ask ourselves, why would a central bank want to have negative rates in the first place? Great question. It's intended to work through two channels. One is it's supposed to penalize the banks for holding reserves that they could be lending, supposed to provide more liquidity to borrowers who need capital to invest. The other thing that it tends to do is it tends to drive investors To other investment alternatives, and that tends to create higher demand and higher prices. So in other words, it really gooses the stock market. And that wealth effect is supposed to make people feel richer, and they're supposed to spend money. Personally, I think that this is a really misguided policy. Um, You can't force borrowers to borrow. If people don't see appropriate investment opportunities, it really doesn't matter what the price of money is. They're not going to borrow. And, you know, Keynes called it pushing on a string. Mm. I think that we are in that situation, that lower rates really are not going to um, cause people to borrow and invest. I mean, we have a problem to start with. People have too much debt to begin with. And it's not probably a sound policy to provide an incentive for people to borrow even more. And when I use the word people, I mean corporations as well as individuals and and governments, too, for that matter. And um, in terms of the wealth effect, you know, we all do feel good when we open our brokerage statements and prices go up and up and up. But if prices aren't going up in response to a stronger economy and stronger fundamental growth prospects, if they're just going up in response to a central bank goosing demand for the asset, that probably isn't going to end well for anybody. So, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, controversy around negative interest rates. They also um, create challenges for the banking system in countries that go with negative interest rates because, um, you know, banks effectively are having to um, invest in in assets that are – know, either yielding very low amounts or negative amounts. And, um, you know, so there's a lot of controversy around economists as to whether this is a good policy. But one thing is clear it, is it may have the potential to um, cause asset prices to go up, although we have not seen that. We've seen sort of a counterintuitive outcome um, in response to Japan's announcement
3: in the last couple of well, Eric, also looking at the at the negative interest rates in Japan, do you have any concern that that is somewhat indicative of the fact that you know the Bank of Japan is is kind of running out of things they can do? This is you know one of their their last uh, this kind is of- their
1: kind of their last straw. So that if we don't get something started in Japan. Erica, I mean, the great question, Keith. I mean, the thought is, is is Japan on the verge of a real major, major problem? Or I mean, they've been in a problem for the last decade, so has this got to push it out?
4: You know, I think that that is uh, the $64,000 question in here because, um, you know, it clearly is – it was a surprise to the market that Hmm. the Japanese central bank would make that move. And it did have um, sort of the air of desperation for sure. Um, clearly, uh, the program that they announced a couple of years ago, which is commonly called Abenomics after um, the head of the Japanese state, right. Abe, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, clearly they haven't been very effective at implementing all three parts of their program. The first part was um, stimulating the economy Second part was corporate reforms. The third part is kind of labor market reform, and um, they really haven't been very effective at at addressing the reforming their economy part of um, their program. And there's only so much the central bank can do, and I think you're you're really seeing some practical limits. And I think that's what's really rattling the market in here, is we're seeing signs both in China. And Japan that some of these tools that central bankers have been have been in their playbook over the last seven years are losing their effectiveness and you know people point to China and they say well you know interest rates are still fairly high in China they can keep lowering rates but what we've seen in China over the last several years is that each time the, the, the government tries to stimulate the economy it has less of a multiplier effect. It's less efficient. It's less effective. And I think we're seeing the same thing in Japan. And I think that that is really causing investors to look at global markets and they feel concerned about where we are. And I think that also explains why the Federal Reserve wants to normalize interest rates because they want to get back to having conventional tools in their toolkit. Right now, with rates so low, they really don't have a lot of options if we do see a slowing economy.
3: I think that's, a, that's an excellent point, Jim. And it also comes back to what we've always talked about. You know, we've gotten into this mode where we act like, you know, monetary policy is the only game in town. What we would really like to see is some improvements on the fiscal policy side. You know, yeah. we'd like to see some some revisions maybe to the corporate tax code if we mm-hmm. really want to stimulate growth. So, you know, maybe we can get some of that going on and, and, you know, help the Fed because they've done about all they can do. About
1: all they can do. So I guess, Eric, and the last question or the last few questions here just as we close out, I'm, I'm interested in Europe, your take on Europe. I mean, we – we see Europe as being ready to move. They started some quantitative easing last year, but it seems like it's, you know, I think I've heard you say broken underneath the surface mindset. I mean, still not getting traction where they need to get traction. Your thoughts?
4: Right. And, and we're seeing a couple of um, old headlines reemerge. The first is Greece. Greece is back in the news. Their government bonds are once again yielding in the double digits. Um, They are going to need to be addressed again over the next few months. We have the U.K. having a vote in June about whether to remain part of the European Union. That can be very destabilizing. And finally, we've seen an absolute drought in bank stocks in in Europe. And banks are, are a really important sector because think about that as the the circulatory system of the economy. When banks aren't healthy, your economy um, struggles to efficiently allocate capital and efficiently grow. And banks are are really um, being routed there in Europe. And I think that stems from a couple of of things. You know, it's negative interest rates. It's, um, you know, some of the capital raising that happened um, had some arbitrary triggers in it that looked like they might be be reached. And most importantly, Europe never addressed the size of the banking system, which is quite a bit larger relative to the economy size than it is in the United States. They never addressed that, and they never addressed the um, regulatory support system that um, they need which would provide cross-border support for banks. Here in the United States, we know the Fed is in charge. We know who is in charge about, um, you know, Regulating banks and setting capital standards and bailing out banks if needed. In Europe, that's not the case. If you're domiciled in a certain country, it's your country's problem if if the banks in that country go bad. And these banks are just so large relative to the size of the economy in each of these countries that, um, you know, that's a big difference between the United States and Europe. And then you add to that, you know, bigger tailwinds in terms of demographics and so forth. And they're in a tough spot.
1: You know, and that's kind of what we want to leave you with, everybody. I guess uh, Eric is is great information, always great information. Gives us a great insight. I mean, a lot of headwinds, uh, and yet the economy, we're predicting something around 2%. Uh, a lot of people may be skeptical about that. But if you've been listening, this is the Vice President Director of Research and Trading at Advantis Capital. That's Erica Birdsland. And she uh, always does a great job. And I want to remind everybody her views and opinions are in Advantis. So the views and opinions of Advantis and Erica are their opinions, not necessarily ours, and cannot be used. As an uh, investment or research or investment of any type, we're making a recommendation. And uh, Keith's not doing So that. don't I'm go out and buy that. Greek bonds. Is, right, is that what you're that's saying? That's not what you're <laughs> saying. Exactly. Thank you, Erica. I appreciate you being with us today. You always do a wonderful job. Have a great day and a great weekend. You too. Thank you, ma'am. Well, Keith, I mean, it's always good information.
3: Uh, that, was, that was great information and a great take on that. And I love the fact that, you know, she, the, the in-depth look at the economy the and, and what really it. is uh, the fundamentals and yeah, the underlying the fundamentals. fundamentals.
1: When we come back, we've got Chris Purcell. He's going to talk about ensuring your love. Now, if you heard us at the beginning of the, the program, we spend $13,290,000,000 on Valentine's Day. We're going to talk about something that's probably a little bit more important then a gift card and flowers on Valentine's Day. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
2: Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Securian Financial Services, Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Advantis Capital Management and Securian Financial Services, Incorporated are affiliates. Shoemaker Financial is not affiliated with Erica Bergsland or Advantis Capital Management. Talk Money will return right after this. Helping you make the most of your money. This is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Financial advisors do not provide specific tax or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax or legal situation. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker.
1: You know, when we started the program, I was reading some data that I got from some research that uh, someone in the office did for me, and I appreciate it. But uh, the fact that I read a read a little. Story statement that said uh, percent of women who would end their relationship if they didn't get something on Valentine's Day, and I was shocked. We all, the guys here, didn't do a very good job on coming even close to that number, and the number's 53%, according to the Google research that was put together, and that kind of, you know, sets the pace for the second part of this program, because we're talking about life insurance. The, the, actually, the title of this part of the program is Insure Your Love, and, it, you know, it's a serious part of what we do as financial planners, and I am very pleased to have with me as my guest, Chris Purcell, who is a financial advisor at Shoemaker Financial. And Chris, welcome to the program, sir.
0: Hey, Jim. Thanks a lot. Happy to be here.
1: Well, you know, I I really appreciate what you did to put this program together because it is Valentine's. Valentine's is Sunday. Uh, We talk about Valentine's Day. We talk about how much money is spent on Valentine's Day, but the reality is life insurance is a cornerstone, a foundational part of any financial plan that we do because we're protecting the family members of the, you know, the adult and the children, but we're we're protecting the breadwinner. And a lot of people ask the question in Chris, and I I guess I want to ask you this, do I need life insurance and what would be the reasons and what do you find? And, And when you talk to people, I know you hear that question. Do I really need life insurance?
0: Sure, absolutely. We hear it all the time. And, you know, every person's going to be different. So we don't want to say you need – we can't do a throw a blanket statement out there and say you need this amount, of, this amount of life insurance or that amount of life insurance. We have to take things into consideration. I think one of the major things you said there was protection. Um, during this, you know, our talk today, I'm going to talk a little bit about some – some data that's been discovered by Limra, uh, they're a worldwide financial services research associ- association, and they did a uh, a study basically to check out the state of the U.S. life insurance coverage in 2010.
1: Now, this is 2010. This where is they just did research to find out what the amount of life insurance, who had it, and, and what's going on with it. and So you've got some statistics to talk about it from that. Absolutely.
0: I know you're saying 2010, give me a break, is 2016. Yeah, but but these things take some time to compile, so uh, I'm sure we'll get some more figures and facts later on, but not before the show ends Right, today. okay. So if uh, you look at it, one of the, the things that I saw that was most interesting was 30% of U.S. households have no life insurance protection at all. Nothing at all. No individual, no group, nothing at all. And and that alarms me, first and foremost.
1: I mean, it's literally three out of ten, and uh, I can see the graphic of three households, three going down a street, and every seven homes have no insurance whatsoever. No, three out of ten, excuse me, seven out of the ten have something, take care of their family. Three out of the ten have nothing.
0: Nothing. It's like leaving your door unlocked and allowing somebody to come in while you're not at home.
1: Wow. Wow. When we come back, I really want to dive into it. We're going to take a short break, and uh, it's time for, of course, as always, a Mid-South History Moment. Rebecca Brazier and Drew Johnson is going to do that for us. And a lot of people listen to this part of the program. They thoroughly enjoy what Mid-South History Moment is all about. And so we never want to mistake and not do that about this time. But when we come back, Chris Purcell, 30%, he says, of most households are at risk, 30% of U.S. households have no life insurance protection at all. But we'll get some more statistics from Chris Purcell. So if you've got some questions, it's kind of time to be listening. Stay with us. We'll be right back after this.
2: This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the listener as research or investment advice regarding any funds or stocks in particular, nor should it be construed as a recommendation to purchase or sell a security. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Talk money. We'll return right after this.
5: In November 1901, city planner and landscape architect George Kessler was hired to draft plans for a system of scenic streets to connect Overton Park with downtown Memphis. Kessler had already planned hundreds of projects internationally and across the country and was the perfect man to lead the beautification project for the city. Realizing that the current parks were public property and maintained by the taxpayers, Kessler designed with convenience in mind, envisioning a greater volume of road traffic, though there were less than 20 cars in Memphis at the time. His foresight proved to be correct, for only nine years later, there were over 1,000 cars on Memphis roads. This system of streets changed the way we think about parks. While the word park normally conjures images of ducks and picnics, the system of north, east, and south parkways remains a verdant trail that is still maintained by the park services and has been added to the National Register of Historic Places. This has been another Mid-South History Moment brought to you by Shoemaker Financial.
2: Helping you make the most of your money. This is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Investments in commodities and natural resources involve heightened risk due to leveraging and speculative investment practices, lack of periodic valuation requirements, and potentially complex tax structures. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker.
1: And welcome back. I'm talking to, with Chris Purcell. We're talking about insuring your love. It's Valentine's coming up on Sunday, and we thought it appropriate to talk a little bit about ensuring. Insurance and the family, I mean, we spent an enormous amount of money. I told you at the beginning it approached $13.9 billion or $13.29 billion dollars. And uh, the reality is I thought it would be important for us to talk about really taking care of the family. And, and, Chris, before the break we were talking about that three out of ten families' homes have no insurance whatsoever. So I'm, I'm really kind of beginning to understand, does that mean we, would we also say that there are some un- underinsured with that too? Or is it just we just are not putting the importance on it?
0: Certainly. So you have some people that are not insured at all, and then you take a look at – some of the numbers that we have here, only 44% of U.S. households have individual life insurance, which is at a 50-year low. So that means that's, you know, that most of the people that are going to be insured are only having group insurance, which isn't going to cover enough for them for what they need. Um, half of the U.S. households say they need more life insurance. So it's not something that people don't know about. Um, it's, it's something that's prevalent. It's on their mind, and, and they know that they need more insurance, but they're just not doing it. Uh, And so what we want to kind of look at is what are people using – when you're trying to determine how much life insurance someone needs, you're going to wonder, what are you going to use that benefit for?
1: Well, let me ask you this before – because, I mean, I want to make sure that when you say underinsured, is this across the board? I mean, or is this a certain segment? Is this – the middle class, or is this above? I mean, is it any? When you say that, I mean, is that a big blanket statement? Help me with that. I mean, sure. It, it's so shocking when we think about that we're underinsured or just not insured. But is that just a segment, or is that across the board?
0: No, that's across the board. So we're not just talking about people that that don't have a lot of income coming in. We're talking also about people that have hundred thousand plus coming in. Um, I think one third say they don't even have enough coverage. So you're looking at people who are making money and have a lot of income coming in, and they themselves are saying, we don't have enough insurance.
1: Let me ask this, then. I mean, have you, when you're talking with people and you've got a question, I mean, you're going through this process, I know, I know they're in their mind, what happens to my family if I can't support them, if I'm not there, do, how do you address that how do you walk a person through that question
0: that's that's a very important part of it um, and so we take a look and we we look at the family dynamic okay um, we take a look and say okay who's who's bringing in the income um, is it a, is it a sole income family where you know it's my wife and I and my wife stays home with the kids and and I'm at work and I'm bringing in all the income and so what happens if I die hmm you know, how much income are we having to replace? She hasn't been in the workforce for, we'll say, 10 years. Right. Is it going to be easy for her to go back in there and and get a job so she can support these two children? That being said, are these children ready to, you know, go to school? or are they, are they at school age or where somebody else can take care of them? So it's all these different things that you have to, to put in place. If I'm gone, how are they taking care of the kids? How are they paying the bills? How are they making sure that the – the life insurance is is in place to pay for bills and things of that nature.
1: Now, that makes a lot of sense. I guess what I guess when you look at this, I mean, there's some challenges that occur when a person has to wake up one day and say that to themselves, what happens if you can't take care of the family? So, help me through that process. I mean, uh, is, that a, is that something you see with a lot of people? I mean, is there is that an issue for a lot of people?
0: Oh, certainly. Four in ten say that they would immediately have trouble meeting everyday living expenses
1: if a primary Are you Are going back or to or your that. research where you did yes. some research? Okay, and yes. I remind everybody, I think that research comes from? It comes from LIMRA. LIMRA, okay. Worldwide Financial Services Research Company? Correct. So a okay. study from 2010. Okay. So they're saying four in ten say they would be in a struggle they are not sure that they can meet their everyday expenses. Their everyday expenses, not not going out and paying for college or you know retirement. Everyday expenses. They're in trouble.
0: We're just talking about keeping things going, keeping the lights on in the house, putting food on the table, making sure we're able to go to school and and afford a car to get back and forth to the, do the different things that we want to do, uh, the things that we have to do to live.
1: Chris, why is that?
0: It's because they're they're you know they're underinsured essentially at the end of the day.
1: Do you do you feel like that it's a mindset that people want to do it, think about do it, but they just don't know where to start? I think people I think
0: people think about it and they say, "Man, I I definitely need some more life insurance. I would I I know I'm lacking in this area, but we've got so many other things to do. Um, we've got we've got college. We've got vacation coming up this summer. I really want to go to that great beach house that we had so much fun at two years ago. And if we can push this off for another year." I'm young, I'm healthy. Sure. Nothing's going to happen to me. I'm Superman. I know
1: you mentioned this prior when we were talking about this in the program, that about 7 in 10 middle market households agree that their life insurance is best. It's the best way to protect their families, but they just procrastinate. They just, it's back to the vacation, it's back to whatever, and and they're they're going to, they're going to do it, they're going to do it. 7 out of ten.
0: Seven out of 10. And, and, and... Look, it's not a topic anybody wants to talk about. Um, It's us facing our own mortality and saying, hey, one day I'm not going to be around. And people get nervous when they hear that.
1: Yeah, that's something that I think if you just tuned in, I'm talking with Chris Purcell. We're talking about why do you buy life insurance? Why is it important to buy life insurance? And he, I mean, he's giving us some data. I mean, this data comes from some research that he's picked up from LEMRA, a Worldwide Financial Service Resource Association, that they explored the, the state of the U.S. life insurance market. What was going on in 2010? And that's been kind of the data. And let me just review this data before we take this break. 30 percent of households, are at risk. Thirty percent of the US households in that's in America now have no life insurance protection at all, and fifty percent say their households if they do have insurance they're underinsured. Boy that is that is a huge and that's a problem. And and I like what you said earlier that forty percent would say that if they don't do something, they could not continue to sustain their lifestyle with children if they don't do something. Well, that's an issue. When we come back, I'm going to ask Chris some very specific questions about people and what they need to do. And I've got Chris uh, who's going to give us some ideas about they want professional help. They don't know where to return. We're going to find out more about that. And Keith Quinn is going to summarize the market. And we're going to talk about a lot of things going on with the market coming up. So stay with us because when we come back, more power-packed information for you. So we'll be right back after this.
2: This is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Financial advisors do not provide specific tax or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. Individuals should always consult with their attorney or tax professional regarding their own specific situation. Talk Money will return right after this. Take a second and think about the three most important goals or priorities in your life right now. At Shoemaker Financial, their team of qualified and experienced financial professionals is committed to helping you achieve these goals or priorities. From insurance needs to college funding, retirement, or estate planning, Shoemaker Financial is here to help you accomplish your long-term financial objectives. To learn more, visit ShoemakerFinancial.com or contact them at 901-757-5757. At Shoemaker financial it's not just the plan it's the results Helping you make the most of your money. This is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker.
1: Well, I told you at the beginning of the program that if you are in a relationship with a lady, well, this is all men in the studio today, you needed to know this statistic. Fifty-three percent of women who would end their relationship if they don't get something for Valentine's Day, you got two days of shopping left, guys. It's coming up Sunday. I don't, 53... don't know. That might be a good re-
3: reason to test their no. uh, device. Here, you know, no,
1: I am not about to suggest you test that relationship. We're talking with Chris Purcell and Keith Quinn. Chris Purcell, is, of course, we're talking about life insurance. We're talking about reason for that is insure your love. We're using kind of thinking Valentine's Day. Hey, it's about the family. It's about going to that person, that special person. But we end up finding out that 30% of the households in the United States have no insurance and 40% of them are underinsured They want professional help, but they don't know how to do that, Keith. Uh, Chris, help me with that.
0: Sure. Um, 24% of households with children under 18 want to speak with someone, a financial professional, about their life insurance needs. But it goes back to the point we were talking earlier. They're just going to procrastinate with it. And so they want someone to to come out and talk to them, but they're not going to initiate it.
1: That's uh, that's a pretty pretty high statistic one in 4 won't somebody. Well, let me tell you if you happen to be one of those 1 in 4, Chris Purcell is somebody you need to talk to. It's his telephone number 757-5757 and he can give you advice, guidance and walk you through what what you need and you know what you're looking for. And this is people like you know like us, just regular people. We know who you are the middle household, the middle income market. Those are people that need to know what to do. And uh, how to go how to go about that uh, Chris I guess in, in in the thought process here, they prefer to buy insurance face to face so baby boomers do. Baby are we boomers. seeing that also with millennials
0: uh, that 's changing that 's changing a little bit with the fact of i mean all, all of us have them in our pocket right now, cell phones, internet getting on 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 the internet and being able to buy things at a touch of a button uh, but I think most people want to look into somebody's eyes and and talk to them and tell them, you know, this is what I'm looking for and and have kind of a a counseling approach to how they're going to be able to, to cover their loved ones in the event that they die.
1: Well, we've been talking about insuring your love, life insurance. It's a foundational part, and it's the it's a cornerstone to any financial plan. And it's just shocking when we have a statistic like thirty percent say they don't have any, forty percent say they're uninsured, and literally twenty four percent say, "Well, I I want to," and but uh, you know seventy percent say I procrastinate. So, we're trying to give you some incentive to use Valentine's Day. Maybe the best gift you could give. Two, that significant other in your family is to say, hey, here is something I'm doing to take care of our family. And I know, Keith, you know why that's important.
3: Well, I know why procrastination is is important. And, and, you know, we've talked about it. And personally, uh, today is uh, my sister's birthday on February 12th, and and she passed away uh, 12 years ago. Uh, totally out of the blue as a vegetarian, was actually at the gym working out. You just never know. She's 36 years old. 36 years amazing old. Amazing woman. Uh, you just never know. And that's why you don't procrastinate. And as you said, it's a fund, uh, it's a foundational part of your plan. So don't you dare come to me with money to invest in the market yeah. until you've taken care of life. You insurance. know, I have a
1: real good friend of mine that works out on the West Coast. And his bottom line is, he said, you know, until you build a foundation, you don't need to be working up in the pyramid. That's exactly right. And the, the pyramid is the part up here where we're doing the commodities and the oil and the reeds and the stocks and the bonds, he said, you've got to take care of the base because until you get that base taken care of and the family's taken care of, that's the problem. Let's move. Let's take a step here, guys. I want to get a summary. Keith, you've listened to Erica. You've got your thoughts. The market's up and down. The market's taking off a little bit today. What do you think? Well, I think we
3: don't get caught up in the noise. You know, a lot of what we talked about was very important, but we focus on the long term. You know, one of the things that we look at a lot is a chart that goes back to 1980, and we can see that we're going to have volatility in the market. In fact, we have an average entry year drop, and this is the S&P 500, of 14.2%. That means at some time during the year. The on market, average. On average the market is down 14%. Well, guess what? Through yesterday, the Dow was off about 14.5% from the highs of last year. But what we also see is if we stay invested, if we stick with our plan, in 75% of those years, going back to 1980, we actually had a positive return in the S&P 500. So if your allocation, if your time horizon hasn't changed, your goals haven't changed, you don't change your investments.
1: And, you know, I think that's just learning to be disciplined, understanding discipline.
3: It is absolutely disciplined. You know, it's always... Uh, we think a lot about behavioral finance, the pain of doing something versus the pleasure of doing something. You know, the, the pain of staying invested is that you can lose more. You know, The pleasure of going to cash, of getting out of the market, is that you don't have to worry about it. You're guaranteed to not lose any more. But the pain of going to cash is that you'll miss the upside. If you've lost money, you've given away the opportunity to recoup those losses. And the pleasure in staying invested, and this is what we focus on, you give yourself a better chance to achieve your financial goals in the long term and that's the reason you invested in the market in the first place. Well,
1: wow, that's uh, that's a great summary of what we're talking about. Great way to do that. That's Keith Quinn, of course, the chief investment officer for Shoemaker Financial, and Chris Purcell has been with us today talking about insuring your love. It's Valentine's Day. Thirteen point two nine billion dollars spent on value at Valentine's Day, and Chris, Chris has given us a great incentive to think about insuring your love, taking care of your family. Three out of ten have no insurance. Four out of ten are underinsured. It's a part of your fundamentals. It's a part of any fundamental plan. So be very. That's just. I want to make sure that's important. Thanks, guys, for being with us today.
3: Enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you.
1: All right. I want to remind everybody: finance and finesse. That's going on at the office. That's tonight. That's. Terry Rogers, just call the office at 757-5757. State of the Markets, if you want to hear more of Keith Quinn, that's February the 18th. Lunchtime, it's closed out, but we do have something going on. at 7.30, Continental Breakfast provided. That's Keith Quinn and State of the Markets, and college tuition is coming. Are you ready? That's, of course, Terry Hurt and Taylor Lloyd. Just call the office if you want to know more about that. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Of course, uh, we enjoy being here with you every Friday. Eric Berglin was our guest. Chris Purcell, Keith Quinn. Producer and board operator Art Frederick, guest in content coordination, Francis Fortner, production assistant Eleanor Moskowitz, Mid South History Moment, Rebecca Brazier, and Drew Johnson. And we're here with Talk Money every Friday, helping you make the most of your money. money, money, money. money,
4: money, money.
1: Jim Shoemaker,
2: Keith Quinn, and Chris Purcell are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services Incorporated, securities dealer member FINRA SIPC. A registered investment advisor, Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.
0: Serving Tennessee,
1: Mississippi, and
2: Arkansas, the latest news stories are here. This is AM 990, KWAM Memphis.